Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Pibus from True Cannabis, and I'll be uh, filling in for Ryan Basor as he'll be out for the next week or so uh, with some issues that he's dealing with. But um, I, uh, we want to move the show forward, and we're going to have a great show today. We've got a, an awesome guest on, Anton Harb uh, Jr., who is the uh, veteran advisor over at the Hero Project. Anton, how you doing today, buddy? Very good. I appreciate y'all having me on. It's good to see everybody. Of course, we're excited to hear uh, about what you got going on and, and uh, the things that you've uh, been working on here recently and bringing uh, attention to some really good causes. So I'm excited for that. Uh, as always, I got my uh, my esteemed host, uh, Tom Beller over at Relief. Tom, how's it going, brother? Going great, man. Thank you for stepping up, Kevin. Uh, good to have Nate here, too, also filling in, kind of helping keep things rolling <clears throat> along. And I'm excited to hear uh, what Anton has to say, uh, kind of following his journey here on online and good to hear i'm excited to hear you know, straight from the source what's you know what uh what he's got going on sure. yeah you know what um i think it's it's super interesting because um you know a lot of us uh people that have never served are are very naive and 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 don't know a lot about um the the struggle of of our, our soldiers and stuff and um for me listening to the show has been super enlightening i've i've learned a lot and it's changed my perspective on a lot of things so super super excited to have anton t- uh, tell us some more uh, as tom had had uh, alluded to uh we do have nate darling on the show today uh nate is the producer of the smoking rope podcast and has been filling in from time to time he's getting getting kind of used to being on the show now we might just have to have a a fourth co-host so uh nate how's it going brother things are going good we uh we had our air conditioning go out uh, on one of the 100 100 degree days the last few days it is fixed now so things are icy cool and everybody's uh, everybody's doing great yeah the heat's been uh been pretty brutal i had my golf league yesterday in uh, 96 degrees in the middle of a treeless uh field essentially uh you're 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 itching for the shades like you know getting the ac going that's a great thing but uh yeah yeah. so let's uh let's get into anton um you know we haven't formally met so it's it's great to meet you but um i don't know a ton about you other than what i've learned on the show so if you want to give our listeners like a brief brief history of your of of your past and and how you got into cannabis that'd be awesome sure for sure so uh i grew up in buffalo new york lovely Buffalo, New York, and uh, entered the Army in 2004. Um, What got me to join the Army was, of course, for a lot of folks, was 9-11. I was actually a firefighter uh, for about six years while I was in college. And uh, on 9-11, I remember sitting on a fire truck, getting ready. We were gonna, were, were we gonna get called into New York City or not was kind of uh, where we were at on that. And I remember after that day, things changed. And um, I, I enrolled in ROTC, Buffalo State College. And uh, 2004 was commissioned uh, as a second lieutenant in the army. I was a field artillery officer. Uh, I gra- it's funny because I graduated my officer basic course in February of 2020, uh, 2005. And April of 2005, I was on the big bird to the lovely sandbox, uh, Iraq. I received my deployment orders um, in my when I was actually in basic and uh, uh, was assigned to a reconnaissance unit in northern Iraq, Mosul. And uh, 
yeah, it was it was crazy times. Um, I ended up getting sick over there and got medevaced out um, later that summer. And, uh, you know, once I got home, it was kind of weird because I they dropped me off in Iraq on my 23rd birthday and said, good luck to you. Go get them. And uh, I was just a stupid, naive kid. You know what I mean? Had no understanding about really anything. And uh, coming back from Iraq was it was eye opening because I didn't have the normal. I didn't come back with my unit. I was medevaced out of there. Right. And I was an officer. So you know officers are kind of lonely at the top when, when you know there's not there's not that bond or that camaraderie that you have among the enlisted guys and uh so i was kind of on my own and had a pretty tough go of it um years of dealing with the va uh, i ended up getting out in 2007 and uh uh you know tried to do the best i can uh or best i could as far as uh, finding work uh with you know post-traumatic stress I was dealing with that. I was dealing with physical issues. Uh, I was stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, right outside of Seattle. So uh, did a stint working for the state, uh, state of Washington for about a year and a half, and then got into the, the federal government. And I worked basically with the feds for about nine years until 2016. Uh, worked with, as I was saying earlier, every agency except for DEA. Um, I did just about everything. Anti-terrorism was really my bread and butter. Uh, I worked on the uh, FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force in Boston for a couple of years. Um, and then came to Detroit after, right after the Boston bombing. Uh, they ended up moving me out to Detroit. And uh, 2016, life kind of changed. Um, to back it up, 2014, um, I had gotten hurt and uh, went to the VA and that's when I was introduced to fentanyl, oxy, morphine, Xanax, Seroquel, whatever else they were pumping into me at the time. And I think that's when life really got tough and I became so sick, I couldn't, I didn't even realize how sick I was. I was just kind of meandering through life. And uh, 2016, uh, attempted suicide. And that was pretty much the, the end of the road with the federal government. And uh, what I tell people, I think a lot of folks, uh, I just had somebody comment on this yesterday. They said, oh, you know, the, the reason you, you left the feds is because of your suicide attempt was your mental health. And, and that's actually not true. Um, I could have kept my job if I wanted to. It was being a medical cannabis patient that ended my career. And uh, I wasn't fired or anything. I just ended up resigning because uh, you could have done you could have done drug rehab and 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 you know kept the job and and that just wasn't really authentic to myself. Um, cannabis uh, was really the only it kept me alive in that the opiates destroyed the nerve in my stomach to where I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep any food down, and the only way I could get hungry was with cannabis. And at the time, it was uh, medical was still there were no dispensaries. It was still kind of that underground shops would pop up every once in a while and you'd go and you'd buy product. And and that was uh, it was, you know, it, it was tough at the time. So uh, after after the, the suicide attempt in 2016, um, you know, I, I ended government service and uh, and 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 just kind of chilled out, really uh, trying to find myself really what was the the, the issue within myself that had gotten me to that road to where I, I basically, they revived me. I was dead, right? And uh, to be, to have that second chance kind of opened my eyes. And I kind of realized that, you know, uh, what bothered me more about 
not in the post-traumatic stress, dealing with that, dealing with the symptoms, dealing with um, losing my purpose, my sense of purpose. I lost everything I worked for, um, you know, it, it, the impact it had on my family. But what was worse for me was not having a voice. I was scared that nobody would know. And it's post-traumatic stress kind of leads us into these dark alleys that seclude us from society, right? Like that's one of the main symptoms you find veterans, we hide, we hide in our homes and we don't want anybody to fuck with us because it's just, it's uncomfortable, right? So, uh, and that kind of led me into cannabis activism because I realized that Michigan really wasn't supportive of its veterans in the cannabis space. And uh, I started with the, the Michigan Cannabis Professionals Group and just kind of met some folks and talked to some folks and linked up with some caregivers. I didn't really even know caregivers was, was a thing. I had hid it. I hid my cannabis use because I had a top secret security clearance, right? I couldn't, I wasn't supposed to use it. And uh, so I didn't, it opened my eyes to a lot of these things that um, I just didn't know existed. And, and that's kind of where my advocacy started. Yeah, and Tom, first off, um, as Tom and I alluded in the pre-show, uh, I really want to sincerely thank you for your service and your story is, is, is amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm super glad that, that you're sharing it. Um, you know, one of the things when I was listening to your show, uh, we'll talk about uh, FOB 1620 here in a minute, but um, one of the things that I learned listening to your show uh, and talking to Sal was that um, the problems that you guys have with the VA being basically that they're the insurer and the provider. Um, and that connected with me because when I when I lived in Colorado, I had a, a, a company, Kaiser Permanente, which is the insurance and the provider. And I know that the shit that I went through um, just trying to get things done, and it was very similar because I was dealing with some anxiety issues and was trying to get um, uh, some help with uh, some medication or some treatment and they wouldn't provide me anything unless I'd pass a drug test that would show that I wasn't using marijuana. And so um, it became very complicated and I ended up having to leave that insurance company. And so I understand that VA thing and that's 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 something that's definitely got to change. But um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, marijuana, you know, helped you a lot. Did that help you transition off the opiates and, and things like that when, when they just started handing them out to you? It, it did. Uh, it was the only thing that helped. Uh, I mean, opiate detox, uh, and I, I cold turkeyed it. So uh, I, they were pumping me full. I had the fentanyl patch, and I was taking oxy for breakthrough pain. And I cold turkey. I took the patch off. I dumped the oxy down the toilet, and uh, and just cold turkeyed it. And I don't. I part of me believe. I'm not sure I would have survived it. Um, had I not had the cannabis, and and I I I don't think the when we talk about opiate withdrawal, we talk about there's the physical symptoms, which may not necessarily kill you. But what I believe could have killed me was the post-acute withdrawal syndrome, the mental depression that you go through because your brain has been so deprived of, of creating its own dopamine and all these other feel-good chemicals for so long that that's what I believed could have killed me, right? And um, without the cannabis, I, I don't... Uh, I think it would have been a tough go of it. And I'm also a cancer survivor. In 2011, um, I survived testicular cancer and uh, I didn't have cannabis then. And I wish I did. I think it would have been a lot, uh, say, easier, but it would have provided a lot of relief that I didn't have. So cannabis definitely um, provides a quality of life that, that I couldn't get through far regular pharmaceutical medications. Yeah, Anton, um, <clears throat> I was going to kind of pivot. Uh, Tom, did you have a question? 
Well, I was just thinking <clears throat> back to what you had mentioned about, you know, Michigan not being super uh, supportive of its veterans. Are you aware of any state that is medical or recreational that is actually supportive of their veterans that we can actually look to as a model of how we should be behaving instead of the way we currently are? Uh, yeah, Massachusetts. Uh, I think Massachusetts has done, they've, they've done things just like writing into their law to where veterans would get free medical cards things of that yeah. nature to where the veterans were included. Uh, I do know Massachusetts is a little bit more on the, the progressive side as far as involving veterans in social equity as well. That's been kind of my one of my complaints with Michigan is that we we forgot about the veterans when it came to social equity. I don't I don't know if it was necessarily intentional, but it wasn't part of the discussion. So for sure. Uh, yeah, we're actually on a panel with the CRA to discuss social equity and expanding the definition of what that is. And it's good to take all of these things into account because there's so many things that we don't attribute to social equity and we, we focus on certain things. And it's all, I guess it's regionally and everyone has their own history. And like Kevin said, when you don't serve, you don't really know. Like we live in a, we live in a bubble, you know, we're protected and we, but people pay, you know, huge prices for that and the way that we handle uh, our veterans when they come back you know it's uh I've, I've seen firsthand just how cannabis can change everything with ptsd pain and everything with just my own life but also through family members and friends that are uh that are veterans that have used cannabis to you know turn everything around or it's the only thing that works that isn't part of the uh, the cocktail that they had you on too you know that's oh. kind of like the the standard you know well, people complain complain less when we give them this. You know what I mean? And that's that's what we're gonna do because it's not weed, and it's just it's wild. Anyway, you can bank on on one thing when you go to the VA. One thing is that you're not gonna get an appointment, and the second thing is you're gonna get a bag of pills. Those are the two things you can count on uh, every time uh, to get uh, right now. To get into Detroit and to the mental health department is uh, they basically said, "Don't call us; we'll call you." And when they say that, that's not good because that just means you're never going to get a call back. And yet bags of pills still show up to this day. And um, they, I mean, they, I, they don't even give a shit whether they work or not or, or whatever, but there's no standard of medical care. The VA is a bureaucratic animal. It is not a healthcare system. They portray it as a healthcare system, but it doesn't operate that way, right? Because if it did, it wouldn't take months to get into see a psychiatrist or months to get into to see other specialists that you need, right? Uh, I've been fortunate because I fight with those folks as much as I possibly can. I'm I, because this is the only way to get things done with them. That you know I've gotten a lot of my care, some of my specialties out into the community. You know Henry Ford and, and Beaumont and whatnot, because they just don't want to deal with me. Uh, and that's sad that we need to go that route. That we can't rely on on you know the promise was you go over there, you serve your country. If you get hurt, we'll take care of you. And, and that's just that's not that's not true. Yeah, to have to have heard Anton on your show that you know when when someone gets wounded and comes back from from battle, they take all their their clothes from them because they're contaminated and they're not sterile. And then when they actually are leaving the hospital, the Wounded Warrior Project has to provide clothing to them because we don't provide clothing to to our wounded soldiers that are leaving the hospital. Like that is absolutely appalling. Like it just does not make any sense. When I heard that, I was absolutely shocked. Like how is that not getting more attention? It's it's. Um 
to the point to where like a lot of these folks that are coming back, whether you're physically injured or the, the tough part is if you're mentally injured, right? And a lot of times those two things go together. If you've been in, you know, when we talk to sale on FOB 1620, I mean, you can't, you can't lose your leg and not have post-traumatic stress, right? Uh, and I think a lot of it is, and I even notice this today when I go to the VA, that soldier suck it up mentality. And I think that's bred into us from, from, you know, from the time you join until even today, they try and breed that into you. And uh, a lot of us have come back and said, no, fuck you. We're not going to comply with that. And we've become anti-authority to the point to where they don't know what to do with us. And the best, the best thing they can do is basically dope us up and keep us quiet. And it's sad. And, and, and here's the thing is you go to the VA and some of these doctors are open about this approach. Uh, I had a doctor at the Detroit VA tell me, hey, look, man, system's fucked. I, I have nothing to offer you. There's really nothing I can do for you. I got the pills. That is it. That's all, my friend. And uh, next, you know, he has 500 patients that he's got to deal with, right? So it's the fact that uh, it let, we lack resources. We lack um, support. We lack, uh, you know, just funding. Uh, everything that should go into taking care of our veterans has kind of lost its way and gone to other places. And whether that's a, from in a fiscal sense or from a, a just compassion sense, the wars really, I mean, the war ended recently in Afghanistan, but people, I feel after 20 years of war, we kind of just outgrew it, right? It just became a thing and it wasn't like it used to be. Like after 9-11, if we can go back to 9-12 of 01, uh, I, that was you know one of the most patriotic times we had in our country. And we're just not there. And I think some of the folks that represented that patriotism got left in the dust. You know, Anton, one question I, I have for you, and I've, you know, I even, when we were working with uh, Bob1620 and kind of preparing for it, uh, one of the most kind of horrifying experiences I had is I wanted to play dumb a little bit and learn more about these issues. So I just started calling veteran suicide prevention groups across the country and just asking them just because I wanted to know kind of what the messages were. And I learned really quickly that these groups that were supposed to be helping I mean, big groups, not little groups, big groups that were supposed to be helping vets. The second I brought up cannabis, everything changed. The entire conversation changed, the entire tone changed, they went on the defensive. I had people hang up on me. I mean, these are huge organizations and I was just trying to get general information about problems. I really wasn't even harping that hard on the cannabis stuff, I just brought it up. And the level of degrading and demeaning tone I got from these organizations that are as red, white and blue as you can get, um, it was kind of horrifying. So I guess, what would you say to your average person on the street when it comes to like how, uh, I guess like America views its veterans when it's useful, but doesn't want to view them when it's not like, you know, kind of what I'm saying, like, like when it's convenient to use, to like tap into that versus, oh, it's not convenient. So we're not going to, how do you, what would you say to an average person on the street? That's kind of like, oh, we support our vets, right? Kind of asking that question. What would you say to them? I would say, I, first of all, I would point out the disconnect that, that you, you, you had brought up because the reality is a lot of our veteran organizations are conservative, very conservative in how their fund, their donors are conservative. And uh, a lot of the dollars that are being used to fund these, these, these agencies and these programs are, are coming from drug war mentality. 
and it's not supported from we, we haven't crossed that bridge yet and and the funny thing is when you go to those programs and i've been to a lot of them the first thing we do is you find i mean people i've never met in my life other veterans the first thing you do everyone busts out a joint we start smoking right don't know these people from adam but that's the the disconnect between the veterans what the veterans want and what the veterans are being offered uh nobody asks us what will help and when we do bring up something that that we that we feel would help us we're told it's not good for us or oh sorry there's not enough research to do that and uh i think that the, the it, we've come to the point where we generate more excuses to, to again keep us in the back keep us behind the curtain keep us quiet uh and that's it's sad because everyone wants to tell us what's good for us without asking us and it, it's frustrating and then Anton, you you mentioned to me one once before that there was like kind of a veteran cannabis music festival like in an Ohio that happens every time. Can you can you give me the quick rundown on that? Because it was a super you call I forget what you called it, it's, but it was it, Operation Cherry Bend. So it's it's what it is. It's a pheasant farm in Wilmington, Ohio. It's my happy place. It's the one place every year I go to where I feel like a free spirit. And it's a it's a 501c3 organization. And what they've based it on is they, they once a year they bring a group of veterans in and it's about five days long. And it's just about camaraderie. You go on the farm, you go skydiving, you, you they have these big concerts. It's not a cannabis concert per se, but it's gotten to the point to where so many of us who are cannabis patients and cannabis users throughout the country, we come together and it's kind of like a mini, mini Woodstock for veterans and we love it. And what's funny is the community is extremely conservative and they are one of the communities that do support us. They know there's a big cloud of smoke going up and, you know, and, and they just, they accept it because they see that it makes us happy and they see that it makes us heal and uh so yeah that's that's like my favorite one of my that, probably my favorite organization uh in the country that i've dealt with just because their love and their acceptance even if it didn't jive with their beliefs uh is i mean we even had the police chief out there he just kind of turned his eye and uh you know it was it was pretty cool to see so there is progress being made um anton one of the things that you had mentioned uh in your previous podcast as well was that uh that uh, having the Wooded Warrior Project and, and organizations like this have events like you're talking about, uh, give you guys something to look forward to, something to push for another day, to get through just one more shitty day to get to that event. I just want one more day to get to that event. You know what I mean? And, and things like that are saving people's lives. Again, that's one of those things that, that uh, me as a naive uh, person who's not served, you know, doesn't doesn't connect with that, but I do connect with it. You know, being that I've had anxiety issues and some depression issues at times, and that you look forward to just having something to look forward to. Do you know what I mean? So I think that that's uh, that's really uh, great that they're putting together things like that for you. Um, something we've talked about all day today, FOB sixteen twenty. We haven't officially addressed it. Uh, Anton, tell me what FOB sixteen twenty means, what it's all about, and uh, and and what you guys are doing. Sure. So FOB 1620, uh, FOB stands for Forward Operating Base. That's basically a place in a, in a theater of combat where uh, everybody gets together and everything is coordinated. And that's where the mission basically begins. 1620 being the military time for 420. We wanted this to be a podcast about a place where we can get a message out. We can get together and get that education out to folks who may not otherwise 
have that, be it whether it's the cannabis industry, um, licensees just kind of looking to become involved with the veteran community and for veterans too, because there's a lot of information. Veterans are, are, are scared of cannabis use because they don't want to lose their benefits. And uh, so just kind of gathering all this information and disseminating it in a way that's non-judgmental. And, and hopefully there's a veteran out there that learns something and it affects their life. Uh, so myself, uh, Neil Paggles, uh, Jevin Weinberg, um, we uh, all combat veterans. Um, we, we got together and we just wanted to kind of put this information out. Nate has been unbelievable in helping us get things together. Uh, Redemption, Ryan, you know, Ryan helping us out, uh, supporting this has been, has been big. Uh, really, uh, y'all have given us a voice that we didn't have. And it's, it's, it is changing lives. We're, we're, we're progressing the cause and we're, we're affecting things in a positive way. So, uh, it, We've had some great guests. Director Brisbo was our first guest uh, talking about the post-traumatic stress um, research study, the $20 million, well, $40 million total that have been released over the last two years. Um, we've had, uh, um, you know, we had my buddy Sal on the other day, a combat vet, and we just want to hear these stories from these different perspectives and how they may relate to not only the cannabis space, but the veterans world. Yeah, and the whole, um, with this whole progress conversation, because it's not all doom and gloom always, right? We, we have, there's always hope. Um, so having having a forum to discuss and bring things to the public uh, with podcasts and things of that nature, um, you, Brisbo, let's talk about the CRA. Uh, let's talk about progress, you know, is it on the radar? Like, I mean, what are we talking about? So I will, so, uh, one of the things as far as it was funny, we talked about the CRA, um, I was invited to the, it's a consumer connection group, um, with Rick Thompson, myself, Brandy Zink, Marshall Klebo. Uh, we, we created this group with the CRA where we meet with director Brisbo once a month and we discuss consumer connections issues because really at the end of the day, I, I represent the consumer, you know, I have nothing to do with the cannabis business or the cannabis and nothing that, that doesn't, that isn't really in my wheelhouse. Right. But I do represent the consumer and I do represent the veteran. Uh, so uh, big props because they, I feel like I'm listened to when I talk to them. I feel like the issues that I raise are being, they're being listened to, they're being digested, um, whether they agree with it or not or whatnot. And I do feel like some of what I have said and what we have said as a group has is making changes and there's and changes will be hopefully coming, you know, things of just from a perspective that isn't normally valued as much as it should in the industry. Um, so I feel like, and I've brought up several veteran issues with director Brisbo. He's been very supportive. Uh, and I think that now that the issue has been raised that it may be small incremental changes, but I do believe changes is, is on the way. I mean, yeah, opening social equity up and just redefining that will definitely help. Um, what about uh, like excess products that people have? Uh, you know, they, a lot of trade samples change hands in the industry and, you know, just for the sake to make a dollar and make connections and stuff. But a lot of the time, both PCs have a lot of extra um, product that they could either give to employees or they have the option to potentially gift it elsewhere. There's also testing facilities have quite a bit of excess in their process because they re require such a large sample size uh, to represent the batch, but they don't utilize all of it. So we've had this conversation from the very beginning with uh, with the 
at the BMR at the very beginning as far as, you know, what, what can we do with that? Can we provide that product to people that can't access because of the price, you know, the, the price points too much, you know, there are ways that people can actually donate to, to, you know, to increase access to people that are in need of, of medicine. You know, there's a lot of things that we could do. Well, uh, I will say this. So uh, the other thing I'm involved with is Hero Project USA, which is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. Um, I was approached by a group of industry folks uh, about 18 months ago. We've been working together now. And the, the gist of it was to how can we help the veteran community, right? And the initial, the initial idea was to hopefully maybe white label some products and then raise donations and then support veterans that way. And it didn't it, it, it didn't work out the way I had wanted. So we came up myself uh, and some of our other Connie Sparrow, Dan Sparrow, um, and, and our other board members. Um, I kind of had a vision of exactly what you're talking about. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to do now um, is put together a compassion program, essentially, uh, and that was brought to us actually by Ease. Ease reached out to me, being the veteran weed guy, Nate, right? <laughs> and uh, they reached out and said, hey, we're doing this in California. Exactly what you said. We have these excess products. How do we get them in the hands of veterans? So working with Connie and Dan and, and Ease and a couple of other licensees trying to figure out how can we make this happen because we need to make this happen within the regulated system. And uh, we have come up with a framework. Uh, the state, we brought the state into it and they're reviewing um, basically, uh, to try and get this excess products, be it from the cultivator, like you said, the labs, um, getting secure transport folks, uh, you know, on board to be able to move some of these donated products around to participating provisioning centers and through metric, get permission to be able to actually donate through metric. Right. Um, uh, and, and make that a thing to where we can have in veteran veterans enrolled screened and enrolled and, and designated a provisioning center throughout the state. I envision it as a statewide program to where the veteran can walk into that dispensary and then once a month, say, get an allotment of products that would otherwise, like you said, go out the door to whoever else and help guys and gals that uh, may not be able to not only afford the product, but access it. We got veterans in rural communities who double amputees who can't leave their house, right? So in partnership with, with Ease and other organizations to be able to deliver this stuff to these folks so uh it's a, it's a, it's a passion project of mine i'm working on it and i hope it comes to fruition very soon i would like to see that very much yeah i think those are some great ideas anton um there's no reason why we should just be destroying flour that's good past testing good on microbials all that stuff it should be allocated in some fashion i think that that's that makes a ton of sense um uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, have you guys had any conversations with Director Brisbane about continuing the funding? I know that the uh, the veterans got some funding through Wayne State University to do some studies. Um, is there is there some talks to, to, to push more funding that direction? So, uh, yeah. So when we passed our uh, MRTMA, we set aside for the first two years, $20 million in the first year and $20 million in the second year uh, from the, the excise tax that was to be designated towards post-traumatic stress uh, disorder research in the veteran community. So last year, Wayne State did receive $7 million and then the MAPS Foundation received $13 million. And there's been a lot of roadblocks, I'll be honest, DEA, FDA, there's been a lot of things that I think have popped up that even Wayne State didn't realize was gonna be a thing. 
and and they they've had the money for over a year and and they're just starting to try and put together their research project so uh the other 20 million dollars the applications were just submitted june 1st was the deadline so cra will make determinate uh, determinations of who's going to get that 20 million dollars uh, whether it's going to be split up among uh, various applications or you know however they're going to dish it out um, but the problem is that I think we're, we're this is such a novel territory as far as research goes and dealing with DEA and Schedule One licenses and there's a lot of barriers that a lot of these folks they just applied for the money because they want to help but they they don't really know what goes into it. I've spoken to many Ivy League universities over the past months and and they kind of wanted to jump into it and then when they figured out oh shit the FDA is this we don't want to do this no more they backed out right so uh, as far as any more money coming out after the 40 million um, that would have to go through legislation because that was written into the law so there really wouldn't there as far as I know there's no other money set aside for that so as I'm reading into it it sounds like there's just political hang-up on, on getting anything done again to prevent you know there being proof that there's any medicinal value value to cannabis I mean if, if Wayne State or or the maps foundation came out and, and and had a study that that showed that that would look really bad on them and so it sounds like to me delay games is the name of the game here huh yeah you know I, I I'll say Wayne State's working really hard um, and I've talked with those folks they're they're working on it and I think I think it's just more I'll say like the DEA schedule one license that you got to get it's a very difficult thing to obtain right and it's a very particular and um, in order for the study, like you can't just go to a licensee in Michigan and secure product, right? Where are you, where's the cannabis going to come from? It has to come from a Schedule One licensed facility, federally licensed, right? So securing product, I think, was a little harder than it was anticipated. Not, and here's the other thing, securing veterans. That was the other thing I don't think anybody really took into account was where the hell are we going to get these veterans from? You know, if you want to have a 200 veteran study, 200 participants, you need to screen thousands of people, right? Well where are these veterans coming from right and that's where i'm hoping hero project and there's other organizations i'm working with can help to because we tap into that community we know the veterans and we can get the message out and bring the participants to be screened and eventually participate uh so there's a lot of unknowns it's evolving but i, I think i think people are working hard they're doing their best speaking about getting the message out what do we got coming up on uh, fob 1620 what do we got for guests in the lineup and uh, what, what are you guys going to be approaching next you know, I think we, we were talking about Nate having a uh, doctor. Nate, I think uh, Nate Pagel, uh, Neil had a, uh, an idea of having a, a, a doctor who's pretty entrenched in the veteran community in Michigan, who does a lot of veteran cards, who screens a lot of veterans. Um, one of the other guests I want to work on too is Dr. Sue Sicily. Um, she, I, and she's one of the, the folks who I know was, uh, was looking to get involved with the Michigan research study. So uh, she's kind of a pioneer in cannabis research and in veterans. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, we, you know, I, I want to get celebrities. I want to get uh, politicians. I want to get perspectives from everybody. So we're going to dig deep and we're going to come up with the best quality guests that we can. I think we're, we're, we've been successful so far. Anton, uh, you know, I, I always like to think about this is a lot of new information for a lot of people. A lot of people have heard, you know, veterans, they have some things going on, but they don't understand the depth of a lot of the problems, just how entrenched it is. What's one tangible thing that an individual on the street, maybe like a cannabis industry individual on the street can do to help struggling veterans in their community? 
Well, if you're in the industry, give them a give them a joint. <laughs> veterans love free weed. <laughs> you know, I, I, at the end of the day, we got veterans who, uh, you know, 100% disabled veteran lives off $3,500 a month. Okay, which is very hard to do in today's economy. So I think if we're talking about industry folks helping create access, whether it's handing them a joint or participating and just creating access to medicine, and uh, in a way that is sustainable, because uh, we want to be able to help these folks for as long as we can. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's that's really good insight uh, insight to what's going on, Anton. Um, I'm super grateful that you are you're bringing this to the forefront and and, uh, and and getting attention to these items that obviously are completely overlooked. Um, unfortunately, we're getting to the point uh, where we're running out of time today, so uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up. Um, I wanted to give uh, Nate and uh, Tom a chance here to give uh, their final thoughts. So, uh, Tom. No, I just want to thank you so much for being here and, and of course, for your service and for sharing everything. And, you know, we're here to help you and support you any way you can. We like to get creative and, and fight, you know, for just causes. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to, you know, hear your story and, uh, you know, just know that there's, that there's hope out there, people fighting you know, for real issues, we get kind of bogged down in the industry talking about flower prices and this and that and all the stupid, you know, things that are kind of floating around. We kind of lose sight sometimes. I feel like sometimes I try not to lose sight on, you know, the things that really matter and the things that are really worth fighting. And these, you know, having access for medicine for veterans is, you know, paramount. And I, you know, we're here to support you any way we can. And again, thank you for being here. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. You too. You know, Anton, I've, I've learned a lot about you over the, the past few months, and it's been a, you know, really a privilege to be able to work with you guys on uh, FOB 1620. So I sincerely do want to thank you for your service, you know, both during deployment and after as well. And um, really happy to have you on the show. I'd love to have you back on the show again at some point. We we're providing some updates. And um, I really think you're, you're doing good work. You're providing that focal point for that voice that often goes unheard. And I, and I, I look forward to continuing the fight on a lot of these issues. Thank you, brother. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I think it's extra important uh, to have people like yourself come out and tell their stories uh, and, and actually be able to see them speak and talk because I think it, it it's detachable if you read it somewhere and you don't have somebody to connect it with and people just they just push it to the side and block it out of their mind on and put it in the in the category of like solving world hunger like what am I really going to do about it but when when it becomes personal and you meet people and you understand the struggle and you can relate to the struggle because everybody struggles you know it's just the attention needs to be put in the right place and people need to be taken care of when they need help you know and so um i appreciate you anton uh, like nate said uh thank you so much sincerely for your service um I, you know i i never served um and i can't imagine uh ever having to have served or be forced to serve or any of that uh, you know you guys are brave individuals to have put yourself in harm's way for the rest of our free freedom and that's that's true true speak there so uh yeah, thanks again. Uh, Anton, did you have any uh, any final thoughts that you wanted to touch on today? No, I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. I can't wait to get together and, and, and spark one up. So, uh, you know, thanks for giving me this voice. Thanks for giving the veteran community this voice. And thank you for your support. I appreciate all of you.
And Anton, how can uh, how can any uh, veterans out there that listen into the show that uh, either want to get involved or maybe need an ear to bend or need some help? How can they uh, get a hold of you and and, and touch base? Uh, we have uh, Fob sixteen twenty uh, support group, which is a Facebook group that we've attached to our our Fob sixteen twenty um, Facebook page. Uh, you can direct message me, Anton Harb Jr. Facebook. Uh, you can email me aharb at heroprojectusa.org. Uh, I'm pretty responsive uh, and I'm willing to help just. About anybody awesome that's great thanks again anton uh again thanks uh, to all our listeners we appreciate you tuning in nate we appreciate you filling in for ryan while he's out for a little bit and um, yeah we'll catch you all guys next time thank you the smoke and rope podcast is produced and hosted by me ryan basor the owner of redemption cannabis have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncana.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.